Everyone faces challenges every single day. Some are chosen and bring us joy. Some are given to us and bring struggle or pain. Whether the diagnosis of an illness, the news of a friend's death, the loss of a job, or a bike accident, we may be asked to step up to face issues that demand courage and perseverance. Hurt is just one of the many aspects of full lives. Each week on this show, ACT, Taking Hurt to Hope, Dr. Joanne Dahl helps us understand how we can use acceptance and commitment therapy to learn to accept what we cannot change and move forward into a valued life. Now, here's your host, Dr. Joanne Dahl. Welcome to ACT, Taking Hurt to Hope. Today we're going to talk about how we can help ourselves and those dear to us when we get a life-threatening illness or when we are in fact faced with the fact that we don't have long to live. We all know that we will die at some point and most of us have this idea that we'll live a healthy, live healthy to a ripe old age and then die peacefully. And it can be quite a shock to get a diagnosis of something like cancer in midlife or even as a young person. How we relate to this information, to the natural degeneration of our bodies or changes in our loved ones is very important. It's natural to feel grief and sadness about an impending death of oneself or a loved one. And it becomes even more important how we spend this precious final time in our lives. Today you're going to have the opportunity of listening to an expert, Dr. Ray Owen. He is a clinical psychologist specialized in the impact of severe physical health problems, mostly cancer and palliative care. Ray works at the National Health Service in the UK in oncology clinics and hospice settings. He is the author of a book called Facing the Storm, Using CBT, Mindfulness, and Acceptance to Build Resilience. And also a forthcoming book called Living with the Enemy, Coping with the Stress of Chronic Illness Using CBT, Mindfulness and Acceptance. You can read more about Ray and his books by clicking on his name on this week's episode of webtalkradio.net. Remember that ACT has three parts. Opening up to the reality of the moment. That is, any thoughts going on or feelings and physical sensations, no matter whether you like them or not. And in this case, it might be opening up, up to the actual illness that's in me, as well as my feelings and thoughts about it. The second part is about becoming aware that I am not these thoughts, I am not my body or this illness. These are phenomena happening in me, but they are not me. I am greater than them. And the third part is actively engaging in valued activities together with this illness and my thoughts and feelings around it. So the question is, can I continue to act as a loving parent, a loving partner, sibling, friend, 
together with this life-threatening illness. I want to welcome you, Ray. Hi, Joanne. So, Ray, certainly severe illness and death are one of life's most greatest challenges for most people. Many people are afraid of dying and afraid of those loved ones around them dying. So what got you interested in this difficult area? Well, I, I suppose because because death is famously one of those uh, one of those only certainties of life. You know, it's going to come to me, it's going to come to you, mm. it's going to come to everyone we know. Mm. And um, this utterly predictable thing uh, kind of it brings with it lots of fear, grief, mm. pain. Mm. And all of us can end up wondering how to cope with it. Yeah, 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 for sure. <laughs> and And as a psychologist who chooses to be involved in how people can cope, indeed, to live well in the face of adversity, well, that doesn't seem like any area that's more appropriate to be involved in. Yeah. So, uh, how did you uh, how did you get involved in this? It was my first, well, one of my first jobs after training was with an HIV and AIDS service, um, and this was in the uh, early nineties. Mm-hmm. First time, really, we had drugs that could slow down the progress of the condition a little. Mm-hmm. What we found was that we had this group of, of young guys who who knew that they were probably going to get ill and mm-hmm. die young, mm-hmm. but they didn't know when that was going to happen. Yeah. And, and I guess this is the bit that really got me interested. They had to work out how to live their lives knowing that. Mm-hmm. I suppose that was when... I first woke up to the fact that most of us are just, we just get on with life, pretty much an automatic pilot. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's only when we're faced with the prospect of our own death that we first realize we have choices to make about how we live the life that's left. Yeah. You know, that's my impression too, Ray, that that, uh, either when there's a life crisis or death or maybe even an accident, that it becomes quite crystal clear to people what's important. Absolutely. And the, I guess the tragedy of that is that there's so much time when we can be living mm. um, that we don't notice those yeah. priorities and those choices. Yeah. So tell me about, um, and I, I know that, you know, your book and you're involved in palliative care. How many people actually get palliative care who, uh, who are in the final stage of life? Um, that's going to vary immensely in different countries, actually, the way kind of healthcare is set up and the philosophy of care is set up. I can only really talk for the, uh, for the United Kingdom um, on this. Um, I mean, palliative care really applies to those conditions where people know that they have a life-threatening illness and will be living with it for some period of time rather than going from being completely healthy to dying in a short period, obviously. Mm. Um, so traditionally, it's been most involved in care of people with cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, increasingly, we've been able to take it out to people with long-term heart conditions, mm-hmm. uh, other breathing conditions, and 
neurological conditions, so things like multiple cirrhosis, motor neuron disease. Mm-hmm. Um, broadly speaking, in the UK, maybe um, one in three, I guess, of the people who are, um, have one of those uh, some more gradual um, final illnesses receive specialist palliative care. So that's mm-hmm. things like um, specialist advice going into the home or daycare, mm-hmm. um, specialist advice on medication and symptom control and, and, and psychological coping okay. going into a, a hospital bed, or, or, or fewest of all, but most specialist of all, I guess, an inpatient stay at a hospice. Okay, okay. So, uh, Ray, can you explain what palliative care is and the hospice and, and why it's important? Absolutely. Um, so palliative care um, really means care that's aimed not at the extension of life or not at the cure of disease or very long-term extension of life. It's aimed at supporting good symptom control, um, dignity, mm-hmm. And as far as possible, living well in whatever time is left. Mm-hmm. Now, in a sense, any healthcare that people receive from their healthcare team, from the simplest painkilling drugs onwards, in that setting, would count as general palliative care. Mm-hmm. Um, however, there is also what we would call specialist palliative care, mm-hmm. which might involve more complex medical and nursing help. Mm-hmm. more detailed psychological and indeed spiritual care and that might take place in a in a dedicated unit uh, mm-hmm. called a hospice mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. now most people who go in and stay at a hospice it's actually for symptom control and they will go out home again mm-hmm. and home may be the place they they wish to die mm-hmm. um, but for some people the hospice either becomes or was always their choice of, of place to die okay Okay, so so Ray, uh, in an act from an act perspective, uh, how does act approach this uh, end of life suffering? Moving specifically to the to, to the act view rather than the sort of physical management of, of, of palliative care. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the characteristics of this stage of life is is strong emotions difficult thoughts are going to be inevitable mm-hmm. you know there, there will be sadness there will be fear there will be anger and frustration and sometimes upsetting thoughts and, and thoughts that are thoughts that are true sometimes mm-hmm. um about the difficulty of leaving behind the people you love mm-hmm. uh, how they're going to cope without you mm-hmm. one of the ways that one of the benefits that act can bring to coping in this situation is learning not to let those things take over can i just ask you ray before you get into that what what would you say you who have worked so long with this what are the typical um fears or thoughts of of people who are about to die of the people themselves who are ill um Mm. the it's a question i've almost always ask the person I'm working with um, what is it 
that you fear most about dying? What's the worst thing about the prospect of dying? Mm. By far the most common answer is the effect on the people I love. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Of course, there is fear of what it will be like Mm -hmm. to become ill and and what it will be like to die. Mm -hmm. And for some, there are thoughts about what happens next, if if anything. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. However, the impact on the people they love who are going to watch them get ill Mm. and are going to grieve afterwards, Mm -hmm. that's the commonest. Okay. One one uh, thought I had when you said that is, um, you know, in our society, if even even we compare Sweden to uh, England, and I don't know how it is in most countries, but in Sweden we very much um, hide death. So you, so most people have never seen anyone die or ever experienced it, and and of course we have this tendency to fantasize uh, our fears since we don't know what happens. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've seen in countries where uh, people often are in the same room and you know see people die that it it helps them because they actually understand you know what it looks like and what if rather than just be a fantasy is that. Something you think? I think I think that's true in 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 many developed um, countries. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I agree with you. Other places that I've, I've had little experience there in in Africa, for instance, uh, inevitably people are physically close to death a lot of the time, mm-hmm. um, and the death will take place in your one room yeah. uh, that you the, the rest of the family is living with, um, and that that does feed fantasies and fears, and it also makes people. Um, struggle to interpret what they're seeing. Mm-hmm. So, um, so typically, where things are being well managed, um, you might see a person sort of gradually having less clear consciousness over a couple of days, perhaps increasing fatigue and then breathing worsening, and, and the person, you know, in, in, in the last few hours being relatively unconscious. And yet, for somebody who's never witnessed that before, it can be very scary to watch, for instance, the change in breathing pattern. Mm-hmm. And under those circumstances, one of the things that we're doing is helping people to make sense of that mm-hmm. and to and to accept their sadness and anxieties at the bedside. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so tell us, Ray, how how you were when I interrupted you about to tell us how how the what act processes. Or how you see this from an act perspective, the suffering? The, given that the strong feelings and the, and the scary thoughts are going to be present, um, trying to eliminate those wouldn't be the goal. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem is not actually that sadness or fear or, or, or scary images are present in a person's mind, that that will happen. The difficulty really comes when the person's reaction to that gets in the way of them living as well as they can mm-hmm. in this present moment and as, as few moments as may be left. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So um, um, to, to give an example, perhaps, um, yeah. um, vividly remember working with uh, one um, youngish woman, a, a young mother actually, who, who sadly clearly only had a few months left. Mm. At the point I started working with her, I mean, physically she was still mobile, self-caring, you know, able to do quite a lot, even though it was clear she was getting tired and, and things were moving on. Mm-hmm. As I think we'd all find understandable for her, 
the worst thing was the prospect of leaving her children behind yes. and of, of, of them growing up motherless. Mm-hmm. Nobody can reassure her that those are okay, that she's you know mm. thinking in some unhelpful or distorted way. Those are, that's just how it was. Yeah. yeah. Unfortunately, um, she was so devastated at, at the prospect of those things that whenever she was with and interacting with her children, mm-hmm. the distress built up, the mm-hmm. image of them crying at her graveside for her, a picture she vividly had, mm-hmm. was so overwhelming to her that she felt she had to she had to stop feeling like that. She couldn't cope with feeling like that. Mm-hmm. And the way she managed that was she withdrew from them. Mm-hmm. Um, she wouldn't play with them. She wouldn't spend time around them. She spent more time in bed than physically she actually had to mm-hmm. in order not to be feeling those terrible things. Oh. And and that was tragic. Um, so And that was an example of how her thoughts and her feelings, but particularly how she chose to manage them, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. actually reduced her contact with what mattered most to her. Okay, so, so uh, rather than uh, be the the loving mum she wanted to be, and actually uh, be with her children as much as she possibly could, and yeah. show them love, she she was trying to sh- uh, protect herself and from those feelings, and she shut down ahead of time. Mm. Yeah, and and in fairness, protect them because she also had the belief that for them to see her upset mm-hmm. was harming them. So there was an element of trying to protect them as well, yet still as as unhelpful because you know they weren't going to have much more time with mum, and um, and they had less than they, they were having less than they yeah. could have had. Yeah. So valuing uh, as a part of act is an important important yeah. step in in end of care and end of life care. Absolutely is it absolutely is and and, and this and this young woman sort of sums that up really because the the intervention with her you know the working with her was first off to uh sort of to, to validate and respect the strength of her feeling say yeah absolutely of course of course it hurts how could it not hurt mm-hmm. so you know allow her to have those feelings and then to move on to the sort of the, the core question of what matters most to her and, you know, she had it a little angrily at first. Well, you can see what happened, what matters most. You know, it's, it's my children and being with my children. Mm-hmm. Enabling her to see that that was what mattered most to her meant that we could begin to move past the need to withdraw, withdraw from her, from the children, to help her to see that being able to be with her children, even with her pain and even with her awful thoughts present, mattered more than trying to manage those feelings by withdrawing from them. So actually looking at the valuing, what she was valuing, what she wanted to value, mm-hmm. showed us the way, and showed her the way. How about, how about the, uh, how she managed her, her thoughts? Do you, have, do you have any examples of that, how you actually you would work with managing those thoughts? Yeah, sure. Um, I think even when, and well, maybe especially when, the thoughts are big and important and accurate, and in her case, you know, I'm going to die soon, is a thought that was big and important and sadly accurate, it becomes 
really easy for that thought to kind of take over to you know almost you know kidnap your attention mm-hmm. um hard hard to get away from it helping a person to see that as big and important and in this case accurate as that thought is it's not at this moment a reality mm-hmm. that it, i mean you know it's horrible lying in bed thinking i'm going to die but lying in bed thinking you're going to die is not dying mm-hmm. there's a difference between the thought and the thing the thought is talking to you about. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, you know, if, say, in a few months' time, the dying is real, yeah. it's a shame if you spent all the last 12 months just dwelling inside thoughts about it and thoughts about it and thoughts about it, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, rather than getting on with living. So recognising thoughts as thoughts, and rather than treating them as realities, mm-hmm. again, can, can unlock the cage a bit. I remember the film of Patch Adams. I don't know if you remember that film uh, with Robin Williams. No? Uh, He uh, worked with the Anti-Cancer Unit for Children, and he uh, said that uh, children live until they die, but adults die ahead of time. Well, I've certainly come across that. (laughs) Yeah. I think think that's right. You know, and that's a side effect of this amazing thing we have that's called the human mind. Mm-hmm. that can problem-solve problems in advance mm-hmm. and comes up with great solutions to stuff. But the price that every one of us pays is that we live too much in a future and we live too much in future threats mm-hmm. because that mind finds it hard to let go of the future and actually participate fully in the present. Mm-hmm. And and mind in the fantasies and fears of, of what might happen. Indeed. Indeed, the fantasy, the fears, and, you know, yes, and the accurate predictions sometimes, but things that are not currently present. Right. Ray, um, you also work with um, caregivers of, of people who are dying. In what way do you work with them? I probably work almost as much with, with, with caregivers as the people who, who are ill themselves. And in, you know, and in many ways, it's a, it's a completely parallel process because... People are going through this together. Mm. Uh, this illness has come into a family's life. Um, mm. It may physically inhabit one person's body, but it reaches into other people in the form of fear or tiredness or aspiration. Mm. Um, so yeah, we, we look at the sort of the, the range of the impact, you know, it's, including its physical impact of things like tiredness, yeah, and its social impact, loss of income, mm-hmm. um, and then look at the ways that that too can get in the way you know the thoughts that come up from that person how am i going to cope mm-hmm. I, am i am i failing as a carer mm-hmm. because sometimes i lose my temper and snap at the person mm-hmm. uh, the work certainly the act um the act element of the work that i that, that i'm doing at these moments is often gently bringing a person back to something they miss that mm-hmm. actually you know you're choosing to be with this person Mm-hmm. You're choosing to support them, mm-hmm. even though that's painful to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and very often, actually, that comes down to, um, you know, an emotion we perhaps don't talk about that much often in psychology, which is love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's it's love that drives this. Mm-hmm. And and one of the sort of phrases I'd often be using to people is the thing is, love's easy when it's easy. Mm-hmm. You know. Early on in the relationship, you're going out for picnics. It's mm-hmm. all that's love's easy then. It's later on when it really kind of shows its true colours. Mm-hmm. I 
I think that I think one of the biggest ways we can show love and one of the hardest is being willing to be alongside someone you love while they suffer mm-hmm. and accept the pain that brings you in, in the service of supporting them. I think what you're saying there, Ray, is so important. If um, I mean, such a, a question, a values question. Of course, if you're next to a loved one, or, or even a child who is uh, dying, or a sibling, or a partner, and of course you yourself are feeling this incredible grief, but can you uh, act as a loving, supportive person and give this person the integrity of, of the end of their life, regardless of how you're feeling? Yes, yes. You know, this, again, you know, it sounds slightly dramatic, but this this may be the last gift you give them. Mm -hmm. And the gift really is the willingness to be there and and to hurt Mm -hmm. in order to do it. There's there's a little sort of a thought experiment I do often with people who who are really struggling with their hardest hitting them carers. Mm -hmm. And I sort of produce an imaginary ticket to Brazil out of my Uh back pocket. Mm-hmm. and say, look, here's a ticket to Brazil. One way. You can go. You can go today. By this time tomorrow, you'll be on a beach sipping a cocktail, and you'll be there for the duration of the of, of the person you love's illness and, and, and death. You won't have to see anything hard anymore. Mm-hmm. You won't have to be tired. You won't have to hurt. Mm-hmm. Do you want the ticket? <laughs> I like that. <laughs> I've never had anybody who... I've had people be very tempted, mind. Mm-hmm. Never had anybody take it yet. I like that. It's very similar to uh, what we think about uh, for pain. You could ask me, if you really want to be just pain-free, if that's all you want, you can go down to the liquor store and you know, be mm-hmm. intoxicated 24-7. No problem. Absolutely. If, if that's Absolutely. all you want. Mm-hmm. And the... And Unfortunately, the price you pay is giving up on the things that are most important. Right, yeah. yeah. And no one chooses that. Everyone understands. <laughs> it's, it's, we, we all want to live a life of integrity, the life that we do have. Yeah. And, and, and I think uh, in the work that we do, one of the things we do is help people to understand that they can do that and that it's okay to be scared and imperfect in doing it. Mm. Um, you can still, it's the doing of it not the doing of it perfectly or the doing of it whilst feeling fine that matters. I can hear in your voice, Ray, the compassion um, that you have for these people in this in this very difficult situation. I think I think you spend enough time in it and you you do realise that, you know, we are all on that same ocean. Mm. And and it does come to all of us. And we're just people. Mm-hmm. You know, we're all just people. In the same boat. Yeah. Ray, uh, we've come to the end of our program. And I wonder, I know there, I'm sure, are radio listeners that um, either might themselves have dear ones facing life-threatening illnesses or might themselves uh, have gotten a diagnosis of a life-threatening illness. I wonder if, what advice would you give them? I guess there's, I guess there's a range of things you could say, but just to pick out just 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 a very few. Um, one specific thing that adds to to people's difficulty at this time is that sometimes the sense of being a burden, 
the person who still feels they are a burden to their their loved ones. They see the tiredness in them or whatever. Um, please try and understand the distinction that you are not your cancer. You are not your illness. It is the cancer, the illness, that's creating a burden and tiredness and fear in the other person. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not you as a person. So that's the distinction between who I am mm-hmm. and the illness that is is within my body. Mm-hmm. Important distinction to hold on to. Um, other things that can be helpful is acceptance. Mm-hmm. You may never feel you can fully accept what is happening with your illness, but try and accept that strong emotions will be present. Mm-hmm. both for you and the people around you mm-hmm. if at possible if possible talk about it make it okay for people to show those feelings in front of each other even even children mm-hmm. because then that's one less barrier between people at this time mm-hmm. and the other thing I guess I'd say is take notice of the present moment mm-hmm of course, there'll be memories of the past, fears for the future, but you have today still, and that's a precious thing. Mm. And even with its imperfections and its pains and its sorrows, today's here, mm. and you can make the most of that still. Mm. That sounds like very good advice, just generally and especially in a life-threatening, with a life-threatening illness. Thank you so much, Ray, for being on our program today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. You've been listening to Dr. Ray Owen, who's a clinical psychologist uh, with specialization in the impact of severe physical health problems. Ray works at the National Health Service in the UK, and he is an author of a book called Facing the Storm, Using CBT, Mindfulness and Acceptance to Build Resilience, and an upcoming book called uh, Living with the Enemy, Coping with Stress of Chronic Illness Using CBT, Mindfulness and Acceptance. So read more about Ray and his books by clicking on his name on this week's episode of ACT, Taking Hurt to Hope on webtalkradio.net. Thank you for joining us today. For more information about Joanne, please see her website at joannedahl.com or click on the host website button in front of you on the webtalkradio.net page. You may also see her books, The Art of Science of Valuing in Psychotherapy, Living Beyond Pain, Using Acceptance and Commitment Therapy to Ease Chronic Pain, Acceptance and Commitment Therapy for Chronic Pain, Values in Action, and Epilepsy, a Behavior Medicine Approach to Assessment and Treatment in Children. All of these are found easily by clicking the cover or going to Amazon.com. We hope you'll join us again soon for another episode of ACT, Taking Hurt to Hope.